Do we have something to celebrate today? Let's stand and give the Lord a great clap offering today. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And let's read this together today as we remain standing. Listen to what it says. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sin, sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Father, we thank you today for your word and what it reveals to us. We thank you today for the babe in the manger and that he is an exact representation. If we want to know you, all we have to do is know him. When we see him, we see you. And so, Father, we thank you that he has revealed to us that he is one that wants to bring justice. We thank you that he has revealed to us that he wants to lift oppression and free people from addiction. We are thankful that he has revealed to us that he wants to reach down into our heart and fill us with love and hope and joy. We thank you for all that he shows us today. Now today, Lord, let us get it, let us understand it, that our minds comprehend the, more and more the fullness of who he is and form us into his image. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you celebrating this week? They're celebrating the fact of who Jesus is and what he was in the past, what he is in our life today, what he is and will be for us in the future. This fact that the more we know about who God is, I'm just telling you, the more you know about who God really is, the more you want to celebrate, the more hope it brings to your life in every moment of your life. In the scripture we just read this morning, there are six words that pull the curtain back and give us a picture and an understanding of who God is. Six words that give us, every one of us, a backstage pass. We're not just seeing the public persona. We're seeing God in his whole, who he is and what he is. Six words that tell us God wants us to know all about him and who he is. These are the six words. Talking about the son, it says, the exact representation of his being. Not a copy, not a, a, a false copy, not a similarity, but an exact representation of his being. If you want to know who God is, you need to look clearly at Jesus. If you want to discover more about God's character and God's desires and God's natures, open up, open up this year, open up the Gospels and read them and look at everything you can and see how Jesus treated the weak and the powerful, how he treated the rich and the poor, how he treated the healthy and the sick, how he walked through this earth. You discover all about God. 
when you begin to discover Jesus. In fact, there was a point in time when Jesus was telling the disciples that he is uh, about to go to heaven and they're, they're not liking it. He says, I'm preparing a place for you. And, and Philip says to him, because uh, they're kind of questioning, he says, well, what can I do? Philip, Philip says to him, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? See, if you have seen Jesus, if you know Jesus, the more you know him and, and, and discover him, the more you know who God is. In every way, they are the same. This baby in a manger. And this baby reminds us that God is love. It is a picture of God's love. It's a picture of his service. It's a, a picture of his care, a picture of his mercy, a picture of judgment that his son has come to pay the price for us. And the more you know what he's done for you, the more you'll want to celebrate Christmas. And you'll want to celebrate all year long. Now, I'll tell you, we have a, a problem with perspective. Uh, to really understand how much Jesus changed the world, uh, it, it's kind of hard for us to comprehend. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a couple things here, and I want you to play along, okay? Everybody participate with me. Listen to the questions closely and, and answer them, and this will help us. Maybe we can begin to understand a little bit. How many of you uh, in your homes have multiple television sets? Raise your hand. More than one. You have multiple television sets. How many of you cannot even remember, listen, how many cannot even remember when you didn't have multiple television sets in your home? Yeah, so some of you remember before that time. How, how many of you uh, uh, remember when there were only three channels? Remember that? How many of you remember when there were no remote controls? We had a remote control always in our house. My dad would say, son, put it on channel three. <laughs> Mark, come in here, put it on channel two. 20, put it on 20. Switch it over to 49 or, or, you know, or, or to 17. And that, that, was, that was the remote control for a long time uh, in, in our house. How many of you remember when the TV in your house was only black and white? Okay. Now, as you think about that, Today, when you can't even hardly go into a restaurant and there not be a TV there, it's hard to imagine what the world is like without televisions. In fact, today, you can have, them on, you can have things on your iPad and you can watch TV while you're driving down the street. Not, not if you're driving, I hope, <laughs> but while somebody else is driving. See, you can, you can take one and say, well, I'm going to fast TV, and you can turn it off for a while, or you can, you can decide we're not going to watch TV for a while. But it's not the same as it not being available. Even if you turn it off and say, we're not going to turn it on today, you know it's there. You still have it. It's not like you're in a time and an age before it was created, and you, and, and you could never get to it or never see it. See, there's a difference between the choice to not watch and it not even being possible. How many of you are like me? You remember before cell phones, 
Remember, you know, I spent most of my life driving without a cell phone, without anything even remotely resembling a cell phone. Now if I forget mine at home and I'm out in the car and I realize I don't have it, I feel like I'm on a tightrope without a net. I feel like, what am I going to do if something happens? I spent most of my life driving that way. How many of you, when you went to college, if you had to do a research paper, you had to go to the library? I mean, you had to go down there and dig out the books. And, and you know, now, now I carry around in my, in my iPad, I carry around probably more commentaries and books than were in my seminary uh, uh, library when I was young. I got them right there. It's hard to imagine how different that is in life unless you experienced it, unless you were there. Uh, this quick question, maybe there were a few in last service. How many of you lived in a home for a while where there was no electricity? Anybody in this room? I see a couple of hands up. No electricity. See, it's, it's just hard. The, the lights can go out. A storm can happen and the lights go out. And, and you don't have electricity for a couple of hours, and you're thinking, well, they're going to get it on before long. We'll light the candles and we'll, you know, play a board game or something. But they'll be on before long. It's not like you're sitting there saying, they're never on, they're never coming on, we don't even know what they are. So perspective many times has to be tied to an experience that was real for you, or it becomes difficult to imagine what it was like before then. And that's, that's the difficulty that we have when it comes to this baby in a manger. It's almost impossible for us in the Western world to know what the world was like before this baby was born. How he changed the world. What his teaching did to transform the thinking of people, you and me. How his nature-changing power has impacted people's lives. Now, we can get a glimpse, we can get a glimpse of it. We can turn the lights off for a few seconds and, and imagine if we look care carefully. Here's one. This baby brought to the table of the world the belief that all people are valuable. All people, no matter what race they are, no matter how young or old they are, whether they're male or whether they're female, whether they're rich or whether they're poor, whether they're sick or whether they're whole, everybody's valuable. Now, those of us in the West, we have a hard time imagining anything besides that. We have a hard time comprehending. We build a lot of arguments around this fact that all people are valuable. But if you just take a look at the Roman Empire, the young were not valuable. They had to reach a certain age before they had a value. Women had very few rights, very few freedoms. Even in Israel itself, you know, women did not carry a lot of rights and a lot of authority. Slavery was simply a way of life. One man could own another man. And he had to do what he told him to do. It's a different world in that day and that age. You look at the world today that has not been influenced 
by the teachings of Jesus. Just get, just get your eyes out of America a little bit and look around the world to the parts of the world that do not have a fundamental belief in Christianity but have other faiths as their belief or no faith at all as belief and you discover very, very quickly that the value of human life, of other people's lives, shrinks tremendously. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you find yourself in, in places of this world where young children can be sold into sex slavery and nobody raises an eyebrow. The government doesn't care. It says the value of life is minimum, little, tiny. You look at places in the world today and, and women, and women are just pieces of property. They're not allowed to drive in many places of the world. They, 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 it's, it's against the law for them to learn to read or to learn to write. It's against the law for them to own property. They can't go out, of, out on their own. They're in danger if they go out on their own. They don't have any rights. You find a world that Jesus hasn't impacted. You find a world where Jesus hasn't turned the lights on yet. You find a world where the rich and the powerful still rule ruthlessly, powerfully over the weak. Where the powerful say, if you don't think and act exactly like me, we will kill you. You're not worthy of life. We see a different world without Jesus. Hard for us in America to imagine it. Hard for us to think about what that's like. But I'm telling you, friends, it should send chills down our backs when somebody espouses the separation of church and state. We need Jesus in the middle of everything we do. We need the culture of Christianity in the middle of every decision we make. We need his convicting power to show us the right way and the wrong way. We need this babe in a manger. And thank God he came. Thank God he came. You want to know what Jesus, you, you're sitting here today and you don't know about Christ. You want to know what Jesus brings. He brings value to every life. He says, here he is, the most powerful being in the universe. And he comes to this earth and says, the most lowly of you are, are valuable to me. The most lowly of you are valuable to me. This baby in a manger brought humility to the world. I, I was in, in the preparations for these series. I was listening to a professor uh, secular, from a secular university that about 10, 15 years ago, they did a study on this word humility and, and, and how it's impacted, how it impacts cultures. And this, this, this secular group was studying humility and they came to a conclusion that humility is one of the, now this is a secular university, you got to understand this, that, that, <laughs> that humility is one of the rock-solid signs that a man named Jesus actually walked this earth. And they point to the fact that you look where Jesus' influence didn't go and how people approach humility. And you look at where Jesus' influence did go and how that impacted humility. You look at history before Jesus' time 
and you look at history after Jesus' time. Up until then, you showed humility only to those who were more powerful than you. It was wise to show humility to the emperor. It was wise to show humility to a king or to a ruler who had power over you because if you didn't, they could kill you. But if you had power over other people, they had to show humility to you. If they were weaker than you or even equals with you, humility, humility, this desire to bless others was a a sign of weakness. And now it's into this world that the most powerful being in the universe steps into it, not as a king forcing everybody to follow him, not demanding everybody, but he steps into this world as a baby. A baby born to peasants. A baby born in a barn. A baby laid in a manger. He puts himself in low places so that all could see the value of humility. He subjects himself to others. He gives of his strength and his power and his resources not to gain attention for himself but to serve the needs of others. He humbles himself, the scripture says, to death, even death on the cross for others. He turns this whole idea of humility upside down. Humility changes everything. Instead of using power for our benefit to make people serve us, we're supposed to use power to serve others, to care for others, to lift others up. We're supposed to use our resources to be a blessing to others. See, even today, we have more respect for the person who accomplishes great things but doesn't act as if he's better than others when he does it. We do that because of the baby. We do that because once the lights were on one way, people were in darkness, and the babe came and turned the lights on and said, listen, if you've got power, it's come from the Father in heaven. Use it for other people's good. Use it to benefit other people. Jesus was no end zone dancing leader. No, Jesus, Jesus didn't thump his chest and say, look at me. He didn't hold out his, his T-shirt and say, look, look what team I'm on. No, no, that wasn't Jesus. Jesus was a humble leader. He knew what he was here to do. He knew what he had power to do. He knew what he had strength to do. He led by the humility of his obedience to the Father's will. And the recognition that he had laid, that, that he laid his power down and was doing everything through the Father. The babe changed things by the powerful, by the power of his character, and he shows us how to do the same. He teaches us that service to others is the way to purpose. Not riches for ourselves, not position for ourselves, not honor for ourselves, but that service to others 
is the way to purpose in life. He teaches us that mercy is better than vengeance. And he teaches us that love, pure love, is better than power and stronger than power. It's hard to see because even in a society like ours that is running from him and from his teaching, his impact still registers in our DNA. Our nation has had enough teaching and we've had enough impact from Christianity. There's some things that still bubble to the top. Oh, there's more and more trying to put it aside. There's great danger in us doing that. But again, look at the places in society and look in the places in the world that reject the nature of Jesus and you will see the clear difference. This is the battle we fight. This is why we are to shine in the darkness the glory of the sun so that others will be attracted to it. But we have to learn not to fight the fight or live the life the way the world that we've got to follow the babe in a manger. We've got to pursue after him. Now I'll tell you, when I think about this baby and who he is, there's one passage that when I read it, uh, read the, it, just, it just stopped me in my tracks. It makes me see my weaknesses and it makes me stand in awe of his nature. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. And it's revealing the nature of the Son. Listen to what it says. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Now let that sink in for a second. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, because of that, your God has set you above above your companions. He can be entrusted to be set above everybody else because he loves righteousness and he hates wickedness by anointing you with the oil of joy. We were sitting a few weeks ago looking at this passage and thinking about it. And what that means, it, just, it jumped off the page at me. I would love it if God could say about me, you've loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. But here's the truth. If God was writing about me, he'd have to put it this way. You have loved some righteousness and you've hated some wickedness. There's a huge difference. Jesus loves righteousness with a capital R. I love it with a small r. Have you ever watched uh, this television show, Undercover Boss? Uh, I've, I've only watched it a few times, but I love the premise of the story. It's about these, these, these big companies and, and the, uh, you know, the, the CEO, the, the chief executive of the, of the company wants to get to know more about the company. And so it's, they're so big that all the employees don't know who he is. So, so he or she uh, takes a week or two weeks and goes down into their company and serves in some 
uh, some of the very entry-level places of the company, delivering packages, for instance, or running a, a restaurant franchise, for instance, or working in a warehouse, uh, for instance. And he, he's just a guy or a gal coming in who's just at the very, he's gone from the top rung to the lowest rung. And now he's in there learning how the job is done. And it seems like there's times in, in the show where there's somebody in there who's just doesn't represent the spirit of the company at all, and they don't know they're talking to the boss. You know, the boss is there, and they don't know it. They're kind of rough riding this guy and giving him a hard time and, and making life miserable, and, and this guy's just kind of taking notes, you know. But almost in every show, there's somebody there that represents the spirit of the company. That's just the exact kind of employee that you, you want to have. They're working hard. And throughout the course of the week, the story gets drawn out from this person of who they are. And maybe they've been in the company a long time. And they're sitting there going, yeah, I, I've always wanted to, to go up in the company and be a manager, but I've never had a chance to get managerial training. I've never been able to do that. And this boss is, listen, here's somebody who's got the spirit of the company, and they've not had a chance to advance. Sometimes if somebody said, said, yeah, I work this job and I work as much overtime as I can. I also work another job because I've got a child sick at home and this is what's going on. And they kind of open up and share their story. Sometimes it's a story about, yeah, I've been working this job for so long and going to school and trying to do this. That. We've never been able to have a vacation. It's been three years since we've had any time off. We're just about wore out. And yet there's somebody who is the heart and soul of what this guy wants. So the end of the show comes. And they call that person in. And they walk into an office, and here's this guy they thought was just one of them who is the boss. And I love it when they look and they say, you're who we want. You're who we want. We're gonna, I'm going to send you to that managerial training you've never had. I'm going to make sure you get it because you're the kind of person we want to see come up through the ranks. Love when they say, you know what, we've been looking into your medical things with your child. We're going to give you $25,000 to help pay for all that. We're going to make sure that, that, that your child is, we're going to take care of all those medical bills, take all that, all that worry off of your shoulders. I remember watching one that said, we're going to send you and your family on a two-week vacation. Now I'm sitting in the, there's, there's times I sit watching TV and I'm throwing stuff at it. Those are the times I'm sitting there cheering. Tears coming down my face going, that's righteous. That's good. I like that. Good for them. Wish I could do that for more people. Wish I could bless people that way. I, I, I love it. I love when, when those kind of right things happen. I, I, when they give that big raise, when they send that person on thing. I, I love it when people do good to help others in need. I love to hear those stories. I love to hear the stories in our church fellowship when, when, when somebody comes up and says, Pastor, man, I was going through a rough time. But my C2 group came around me and they blessed me and they took care of me and they helped me. I'm just going, yes, that's the way the church is supposed to work. Love it when some... Somebody, when one of the teachers or one of the leaders of the school comes and says, hey, we've got this, this kid in our school that has some social issues or some other issues. And you know what? The kids in our school have kind of rallied around them and protect them and lift them up and encourage them. I go, yeah, that's, that's the way it's supposed to work. I love it when I hear those. I, I love righteousness in those kind of stories. Now, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm better than what I was, but 
As much as I love righteousness that way, there's... There are times when if somebody hurts me or hurts one of my family members that I really love the thought of payback. You know, I really love the thought of doing something, just giving it to them. Am I the only one like that? See, here's the deal. God loves righteousness, and he hates wickedness. And, and, and part of our problem is we justify things in our own thinking. Do you ever feel jealous of somebody else's opportunity? Do you ever feel jealous, envious? of somebody else's gifting, instead of celebrating that, instead of being happy for them, instead of seeing the glory of God and what he's done in their life, the thought is, why don't I have that? Why don't I get that opportunity? What's the deal here? Do you ever envy someone else? Do you ever twist a story ever so slightly to make yourself look better? And somebody else look worse? Do you ever think me first? It's my turn. Jesus didn't. Jesus loved righteousness. He didn't twist any stories. He didn't come to a point where he said, okay, time to serve me. He knew what he was here for, and he came to serve us. Friends, if we do that, then we love righteousness with the small r. But we have a Savior, and we have a God who loves it with the capital R. He loves all righteousness. This babe didn't just love some righteousness. He loves the the, the things. He he loves all righteousness, and he hated wickedness. I'll confess, I I hate some wickedness. I I don't like to bully too much. Somebody who's bullying other people, I I hate that. The crude, painful mouth that cuts into people and tears other people apart. I kind of, I hate that. I don't want to be around it. Betrayal, people who betray their word and betray other people. The crude joke, I I don't need any part of that. I I will admit I have kind of a a problem with vandals. (laughs) I have my list of wickedness that I hate. But do we hate all wickedness? Or does some wickedness get a wink and a smile? Don't really hate it. See, lawlessness, lawlessness hurts others for our own benefit. Lawlessness breaks boundaries and justifies our actions. And we say, God understands. Yeah, I, I, I didn't... 
I did it that, I said those words, I said those words, but God understands why I said them. Yeah, I, I did this thing, but God understands why I would do it. Look at all these things. Look at the abuse that took place in me. Look at the betrayals that took place. Look at all the nasty words that were said about me. Look at all these things behind me. That's why I acted in this wicked way. So see, God understands. But here's what you got to remember. God hates wickedness. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't wink at it. He doesn't say, I understand. He just says, I hate wickedness. And even if all the world is wicked to me, and I say, oh, well, I have, I have a justified reason to be nasty, to be a cheat, to betray, to say something hurtful or harmful. God's sitting there saying, listen, my son, that babe in a manger, he went to the cross, and he was completely innocent because he hated wickedness. Wow. I thank God I have a God who loves righteousness. I'm kind of in awe of the fact that I have a God who hates wickedness. And I want, him to, I want to be formed into his image. Lawlessness takes what isn't ours to take, and lawlessness gives what isn't ours to give. This is a great thing. The babe in a manger loved righteousness. No qualifiers. He loves righteousness, and he hates wickedness. He doesn't, he doesn't selectively choose. I am far from being that pure. But boy, does he give me a model to follow. This babe came because he loved us. And under the law, under the law, we are condemned. We can't meet, we don't meet. Our nature doesn't meet the standard of righteousness. And we have fallen to the nature of wickedness. And he couldn't, he couldn't just ignore that. He couldn't just ignore our lack of righteousness. He couldn't just ignore our wickedness. He had to answer it. He had to make sure the price was paid for it because in that condition, if righteousness were to rule and wickedness were to get what it deserved, then we belong to the enemy for destruction. And this babe came in the middle of all of that while we were still wicked, while we still didn't love righteousness, and he came and walked upon this earth and lived upon this earth and paid the price for our failure so we could be redeemed. So we could be made whole. He couldn't ignore it, so he came and answered for it. He came not to break the law, but to answer so that we could be free. We have a perspective problem. We stand by each other. Take a look at the person sitting next to you. We look at the people sitting next to us and we think, I'm not so bad. Okay, maybe not the person right next to you, but <laughs> the guy across the aisle over there. That one down there on the other side. I'm not so bad. But the problem is, is we're comparing ourselves to other lawbreakers. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. 
The accusation of the world against the church is this, that we have created God in our image instead of God creating us in his. And this is far from the truth. This baby is the perfect representation of God. His exact image that we fall short of. But we celebrate. We rejoice. We hug our kids. We lift up our grandkids. And we whisper in their ear at Christmas time. Jesus has come. And we can be set free. He shows us the love, the mercy, the warmth, the wisdom, the power of Almighty God, and that it is, He is for us. He shows us God's desire to be with us. And He shows us God's ability to heal us and to set us free. Let's stand together today. Lord, in these next moments, as we sing this song together, just speak to us about who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the weaknesses of this season, in fact, one of the weaknesses and, and easy faults of our life is we can get so busy. Our life can be so hectic that we forget he's Emmanuel, God with us. He doesn't get shut out of our life by intent as much as just by happenstance. I've just filled my life up with so many things that he doesn't have a voice into my life. So we want to take a moment today and, and combat that. We're going to take just the next minute. Dan's going to play. And I just want to challenge you to just, as you're just silent before the Lord, to say, God, is there a place where I don't love righteousness the way that I should? Is there a place where I'm winking at wickedness? Is there some place in my life where I'm walking in pride, not humility? Is there some place where I'm not showing love for others and the value of others? And let him speak to your life. So just take a moment. Shut everything else out. Close your eyes, bow your head, and just say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me right now. If you'll take time like this in your life, God will begin to speak to you. Lord, in Jesus' name, you know what you're saying to every life. And maybe some of us are so attuned to you, we, we heard you speaking today. Maybe, maybe some, we're, just not, we're not ready to hear, you're not telling us yet. But we want to be sensitive to the fact that you're with us that you're moving in our lives. And that, Father, you, your son is the exact representation of who you are and how this world would be healthy, our lives would be healthy if we let your nature reign in us. Thank you so much for your son. As every head's bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask our prayer teams, our, our elders and staff to come down to the front right now, but as everybody else's heads bowed and closed, as you stand here today, you're right across that line of faith. You're, you're at a point right now where maybe God was speaking to you and you know, I need to surrender my life to Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I need to do that today. 
that's you, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. Yeah, God bless you, and you and you. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. Looking across this auditorium, God bless you. God loves you. God loves you. Loves you and you. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. And I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Grace and peace.